Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's speaker is Stephen Brannan. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. This is still the Easter season. Christ is risen. In fact, in this liturgical season, modeled after the actual events 2,000 years ago, he's actually still with us. As Acts tells us, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. This would be day 36 if you're counting. Uh, And if you're not counting, that's fine. The disciples probably weren't counting either. They were just taking it day by day, celebrating, grappling with the reality of the ramifications of Jesus' resurrection, learning about the kingdom of God from him. We're not sure what all Jesus would have been talking to the disciples about over this span of 40 days, but it's likely that a good bit of it was just reminding them of what he had already taught them during his ministry, and which by now they had forgotten or could only understand now in the light of his triumph over death. So that's what we've been doing too, post-Easter, reminding ourselves of what Jesus taught, who Jesus is, now that we're on this side of the resurrection. The gospel readings for the past few Sundays are of what Jesus was telling his disciples in John chapter 16 during his time with them on that last night when he was betrayed. That night especially would have been burned into their memories, but at the time, not all of what Jesus was telling them was making sense to them. Today's gospel finishes that chapter out, John 16, and even though the disciples at one point finally think that they understood what Jesus was saying to them, they still couldn't fully have known all that he was signifying because this was pre-Easter for them. Jesus in the chapter has been telling his disciples that he must go away from them. They were distressed at this and didn't understand where he was going or why. He promised that even though his going would mean sorrow and anguish for them, their anguish would turn back into joy. He said that he would not see them for a little while, but then he would see them again. He also said that his leaving meant the coming of the Holy Spirit, the Helper, It seems that he was indicating both the events of his death resurrection and also his ascension, the sending of the Spirit, and all this talk about leaving but coming back and sorrow turning to joy, and it's a good thing if I leave because then I can send the Spirit. He's preparing them both for Good Friday when he's leaving them to go be in the tomb, but he's also preparing them for what's going to come 40 days after his resurrection. And the disciples couldn't have conceived of either at this time on this night. We, however, can profitably read these passages and understand them, both in the light of Easter and also in expectation of the coming Feast of the Ascension, which is this Thursday. We know why he's saying it's to their advantage that he go in order to send the Spirit. We know why they would sorrow for a while when they didn't see him, but would rejoice when they did see him again. But now we come to a curious consequence of his resurrection, that he promises the disciples, which may not be quite as clear to us even in light of the resurrection and ascension 2,000 years later. Jesus says that on the day when they see him again and rejoice, in other words, once he had risen, they could ask the Father in heaven anything in his name, and it would be given to them. Until then, they hadn't asked the Father anything in Jesus' name because they didn't know to. But once they saw the power of Jesus, the Son of the Father, to overcome death, 
they would learn to ask the Father things in his name. And it's not that Jesus would ask the Father for them. It's not Jesus' role to be an intercessor, someone to pray to the Father along with us. That's what our brothers and sisters in this church, all the saints and angels, and our Blessed Lady the Virgin Mary do. They are our intercessors. But Jesus is our mediator, our link. He joins us to the Father. And we would never pray to God in anyone else's name. But after Easter, the disciples learned and so taught us through the scriptures to pray in Jesus' name. But what about that strange guarantee that whatever they asked for would be given? Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. This is a direct quotation from Jesus. This seems like a dangerous thing to promise, you know? If not most obviously, because it's so potentially falsifiable, right? All we have to do to test this is to pray for something, uh, say if I buy a lottery ticket for the sake of the church, <laughs> that I will be a winner, oh Father, in Jesus' name, and see if it happens. But if it doesn't happen, and I lose $10 on a losing ticket, have I made Jesus a liar? Of course I haven't. I've only proven myself to have sorely misunderstood what Jesus meant, and probably that I'm both selfish and a little dense. Because prayer is not magic. Jesus' name is not an incantation. We don't presume to manipulate the power and promises of God to control the world around us. All prayer, even petitionary prayer, is communion with God, and is God whose uncreated will and power create and sustain all things. So our very contingent derivative wills and powers are given to us by God to do with as we direct. But the purpose of these gifts is to learn how to use them to sharpen and perfect them by imitating God now revealed in Jesus Christ, whose divine will and power he united with our broken human wills and powers. So prayer in Jesus' name is merely the effort of uniting our wills to God's will so that our power of prayer becomes manifested by God's power of action. This truly asking in Jesus' name means that we have to be united with Jesus' will. And when the Father, who knows and loves his Son, sees us united in love with the will of his Son, whose own will is united with that of the Father, he gives us what is already in his perfect goodness, will, and mercy to give. In these final days, Leading up to the Feast of the Ascension, we give special time to asking the Father in Jesus' name for his blessings on this world and on the vital things that we gain from it, food, water, medicine, shelter, and for the economic stability based on these things. It's a tradition going back all the way at least to the 5th century, and it's come to be called the Rogation Days or Rogation Tide after the Latin word uh, rogare, meaning to ask. Today is called Rogation Sunday in a lot of books. These are good things to ask for, food, water, etc. Uh, and it doesn't seem, and it does seem to match the will of Christ who provided food for the hungry, calmed the rough water for the distressed, bestowed health on the infirm. But not every hungry person in the world has found food before starving to death. Not every sailor has survived storms at sea. Not every sick person has recovered from their sickness. And there have been Christians in all those places asking the Father in Jesus' name to reverse the situation, to have mercy. As difficult as it is to understand here and now, though, God does always have mercy, even if he doesn't reverse the specific situation. 
even such a one as the Apostle Paul, who saw visions of the kingdom of heaven, too great and too beautiful to convey to anyone. He prayed not once, not twice, but three times. We can be sure in Jesus' name he was praying for God to take away a specific trial from his life. And the answer came back from the Lord, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. As a kid, I was given the example of a traffic light uh, with its red, yellow, and green lights as an image of possible answers from God to our petitions. A green light would be a yes, a prayer answered in the affirmative. A yellow light would be a not yet. And a red light would be a no. But note, the answer St. Paul got was not a red light. It was a yellow light. The thorn in his flesh was removed from his body when his body was removed. It won't be back, except perhaps in a glorified form like Jesus' uh, wounds after the resurrection. A red light, though, simply indicates that we have asked wrongly. Our wills are not aligned with Jesus' will. St. Basil the Great tells us, Never be discouraged, so that when you pray and do not receive the answer to your prayer, you should not cease from praying till you do receive it. Provided that, as I said, you ask for what God wishes you to ask. If you don't ask for what God wishes you to ask, if you pray in Jesus' name in words only and not with united wills, then you will have a red light. And hopefully you'll have someone more saintly than yourself who can see your poor prayer and clearly tell you why it's not within the will of God. But if your request is good, as St. Basil says, if a month goes by or a year or three years or four or many years, do not give up praying till you receive what you ask for. But ask on in faith and be at the same time steadfast in doing good, standing then in God's presence in a manner truly worthy and laying before him all the desires of your heart. Cease not to pray till you receive what you ask for. So in this world, whatever we ask for, as we are truly united with Christ in will, intent, and devotion, the Father who gives good gifts will give us what we ask for. Even Jesus, in whose name we pray, petitioned his Father in the garden with the clause, if it be possible, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. It's not good for our souls that all cups should pass from us. We must drink from some of them. But we will never drink anything stronger or more bitter than the cup received by him who now gives us strength. His final words for us today are, in the world you will have tribulation. What a strange thing to follow up, ask the Father anything and he will give it to you. Then he says, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So we have been told to ask, rogare, do not then lose heart if you do not speedily obtain your request, St. Basil says. By this, we also show our faith and our love of God, since though we do not quickly receive what we ask for, yet we remain steadfast in praising him and giving thanks. Then let us give him thanks at all times so that we may be found worthy of receiving his everlasting gifts, since to him all praise and glory is due forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, St. Basil. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and Reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.